Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the WorkLife podcast. This is your host. Agnes and today is another special episode because I'm actually in Antwerp in the house of our guest Isabelle de Clerc in her beautiful house we just let the cat leave uh, the house not to disturb us <laughs> and uh, we're going to be talking about her book Social Technologies in Business. Hi yeah. Isabelle. Hey it's so nice to meet you in yes. real life. <laughs> Finally. So, So Isabel is um, a trend catcher, Sparkle architect. She's a practical futurist, a keynote speaker, and the author of the book that I just mentioned, and also guest lecturer at the University of Antwerp. And we just discussed before the podcast that I've been stalking you on LinkedIn for about two years, and we were, you know, even exchanging a message about having a coffee in Antwerp. Um, but I'm so happy I'm finally here meeting you in person. No, it's an honor for me to do this podcast with you. So Isabel, please tell listeners about your passion, what drives you, your journey and, and what led to, to writing this book. Yeah, okay. Um, in the month of December last year, um, I had a meeting with a French-speaking Swiss guy in Brussels. I remember it was very cold, it was snowing and we had a cup of tea in a posh hotel mm. in Brussels. And we were talking about social technologies and digital transformation and knowledge sharing. And at the end of this conversation, this guy tells me, Isabel, you really are passionate about learning, aren't you? And I'm telling you this story because finding what we are passionate about is not always that easy. And sometimes we find the answer more easily when we are talking to other people. So sometimes the answer is in the eye of the other person because other people they see us acting and doing things and then they give us information about our passions so yes learning uh, definitely and in fact I am intrigued by a couple of questions I will give you some uh, some examples uh, a first question is how do people learn in interaction and then I do not refer to direct interaction but more to asynchronous interaction so what really passionates me is how do people learn while being present in virtual communities in social technologies 
And you know, in these communities, you can observe different kind of dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you have people asking questions and then people answer to the questions and that makes their implicit knowledge explicit. That is really fascinating and, and intrigue, intriguing. But another thing that I really like is that, you know, people, they learn a lot just by consuming different pieces of small bit-sized information and then over time they aggregate all of this and then suddenly um, over time new insights and new ideas emerge in their heads. So they just learn somehow over time by connecting the dots and I think that is also very fascinating. So how do people learn um, in asynchronous interaction? That's the first question that I really like and then So a second question that I really like is how can organizations make sure that learning and working are not separate entities? Um, Because I believe that organizations where learning and working are intertwined, they are healthier places to work. And that is very important because we want people to work um, longer. And you know, in Maslow's pyramid of needs, there is self-actualization. So learning is very important. And then a third question that I really like is, what is the link between learning and um, language? And I really like Oliver Sacks. I don't know if you know him, he's a famous neurologist and writer. And Oliver Sacks has written this beautiful um, short sentence and he writes, ideas emerge in the act of writing. And so that is also one of the reasons I'm so interested in knowledge sharing, because when you share your knowledge, you translate your thoughts and your ideas into language. So it means that you transform something that is in your head, something that is invisible, you translate it into something tangible. And that is really fascinating. Another thing that I really like is um, communities. Uh, I am a community manager myself, and the name of the community is About the Future of Work. It's a Yammer community. And I see that as a community manager, you can manage some elements. Uh, For example, you can always invite new people to have enough diversity um, between your members. You can organize offline activities. But what I feel is that communities are like organic entities. So it's not just about managing it. It's also about listening and observing and, and connecting people. So making sure communities are active and stay active. It's about the head, it's about managing, and it's also about um, the heart, connecting, mm-hmm. uh, connecting people. Uh, so, yeah, learning and how people interact and learn in online communities and the link with language, that is what, what drives me. Mm. Thank you. Well, there has already been such rich insight in what you just said, but let me just pick up on, on one, what you just said, before we maybe go to the next question, which is, learning and working intertwined and and I particularly picked up on what you said about how they are then healthier places to work because one of the areas that I'm really fascinated about is trust and transparency in the workplace Mm -hmm. and I think that that's a little bit linked to what you said because if there's no trust people are in a competitive mode so they may feel that whatever I say can be taken from me, used against me. If if there's this ecosystem of trust, of transparency, people are much more likely to share. So 
I, th I think that's a little bit linked. What, what do you think about that? Yes, indeed. And um, I think a lot of management consultants, they say, yeah, we have to, uh, to get more uh, trust and transparency into the organizations. And then I think that social technologies is a good answer because if people do their work in um, online communities, then there will be no uh, cascaded information anymore and there will be less hierarchy because within an online community, everybody is like a peer mm. and um, information flows and there is transparency of information. So I think that finally now we have a technology that allows organizations to install more uh, trust and more transparency. Mm, absolutely. I wanted to ask you because You sometimes post about working out loud, yes. and, and you also mentioned that, um, this, this movement or development. And I wanted to ask you, you know, what impact it had on your life and career? What was maybe the trigger that you decided to go for a book about this? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, what, what is working out loud? And mm -hmm. you often see the hashtag uh, wall on, on Twitter and on Facebook. Working out loud is about uh, showing your work. It's about sharing your work online and other people use sometimes other words like, for example, narrating your mm -hmm. work or even making your work visible. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just about making uh, finished products visible, like, for example, a presentation that you have made, but also, and that is in general rather difficult for people, also work in progress. So it means that you will share the steps that you are taking towards a final product and people are not used to that they are not used to share work in progress but it, but it is very important and interesting um, it is also a proactive way of sharing knowledge it means that you share your work not just because somebody has asked you a question but, but you share it in a proactive way because you think that your insights and your ideas are useful to other people in your community so working out loud well i think there is a lot in it you know and it's not always that easy uh, to explain but now how to explain my love for working out loud and then how did it lead mm. to, uh, to the writing of the book um, i really like that question and in fact in order to uh, to answer that question i have to go back to my childhood agnes Uh, when I was a child, and these were the 70s, um, I loved doing sports and playing the piano and reading books, always books, a lot of them. And even as a child, I was fascinated by the fact that a person could have a story in his head and that by translating that story into language, that person could make me happy. Isn't that beautiful? Mm. And when I was a child, I also took uh, drama lessons. So I was just 11 and I was already on stage telling stories and I felt that uh, stories have this ability of connecting with people on an emotional level. So telling stories is about connecting, it's about touching people. And then in um, 86, uh, last century, I started to study languages, Roman languages at the University of Antwerp. I really loved um, language. And then I started to work at the University of Ghent. And there are basically developed textbooks and e-learning materials for people who wanted to study French and Spanish. So there I got passionate about learning and development. But another topic I started to think about in that period was the importance of leadership and the importance of a clear mission of the organization. You have to know that in the organization where I was working, the mission was not clear. 
there was rather poor leadership and all mm. of that had a negative impact on the motivation of people. So I really got intrigued by this link between clearness of the mission, strong leadership and engagement of, mm -hmm. uh, of people. And then another topic that emerged there in my professional life was that of customer intimacy. Because in that organization there was no customer intimacy at all because the university is a rather inward looking um, entity. And then we go to 2011. I discovered uh, the power of social technology because somebody uh, learned me how to use Twitter and that really changed my life. And so while preparing this podcast, I realized that in social technologies, all these topics I had been, I had been passionate about in all my life, they all come together mm. in social technologies because it's about language. It's about stories being told. It's about connecting with people. It's about engagement. It's about interacting with customers. It's about leadership and self-leadership. So everything comes together <laughs> in the topic of, uh, of social technologies. Yeah. No, that's I, I. A lot of it resonates with my journey. Really. So when I'm listening to you, I feel like, oh, that could have been me because my early career aspiration was to become an actress. Really? Yeah. And and I practiced, uh, you know, with shampoo bottles giving interviews <laughs> about yes. my latest movie. And in the yeah. end, now I'm, I have this great opportunity to be interviewing others. And I think yeah. that gives me just as much passion as, yeah. as, as being interviewed. But I remember when I discovered Twitter, and it took me about a year mm -hmm. to figure it out. I, I, mm -hmm. I couldn't somehow get it. But, but after a year of passively just, you know, being on there, I somehow got it that the secret was in the engagement and mm -hmm. really going out on your comfort zone. Even, you know, people think, well, I'm anonymous there. I could be. But still, you have to be authentic on there. And, and once you start writing to people and engaging with people, you meet an amazing group of people. I mean, so many of the, you, for example, I've met yeah. you via LinkedIn first and, and others as well. So I think that I, I can totally feel what you say about this power of the of the medium. Yeah. But picking up on something that you said, this sharing work in progress, validating yeah. your ideas, getting yeah. feedback on the go is, I think, probably the biggest paradigm shift of of how we work because it implies a lot of vulnerability yes indeed whereas we had this kind of macho 80s 90s success uh, wall street kind of business culture i think even penetrating belgian mm -hmm. employers cultures and even hungarians and now it's a very different it's almost esoteric or organic that you you invite people to see behind the scenes yes that's that's really beautiful because sometimes i struggle with um, how, how i have to explain work in progress but it's uh, it's going behind uh, the scenes yes and indeed it's about vulnerability i am uh, going through a learning track now um, and it's called connect share lead and i learn people progressively how they can be like strong contributors online and we are now in the third module and in the so in the in the first module they it is called fish and learn it's like you fish in the water of information that is passing by and you learn a lot and in the second one they start to contribute themselves it means that you share other people's posts or that you react react to other people's posts and then the third one is really an important moment it's where they have to start um, sharing their work and work in progress 
and I felt that, well, just there are five of them, that one of them was really reluctant uh, doing it because um, I had given an example myself. So one of the members had a question and um, I had one answer to that question, but not all the answers. And I have put my question on LinkedIn and I really had a lot of views and people interacting with me. And then this other guy told me I would not have, I would not have done that. I would first think about it like for one mm. week and then figuring out what the answer would be. And I said, but then you're losing a lot of precious time. It's so limited as well, right? It's just yes. you in your own head. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's true, but it's another mindset. And I think it is uh, because, you know, in the past, we were supposed to do always the same things. It was about uh-huh. repetition Routine, of, yes, of same yeah. task. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it is normal that you do a thing uh, good from the first time. But now we are in um, a new era where we have to do new things, where innovation is very important. So we are trying just to figuring out new things and trying to find new solutions to new problems. So it is normal that we can do it right from the first time. Mm. So we need help from other people. And therefore it is very important to build up uh, a network because you cannot always Mm -hmm. find the right answers with your colleagues in the same organization. Maybe to take listeners a little bit more towards the heart of the book, mm-hmm. would you mind, Isabel, to explain a little bit what are social technologies? Yeah. Because I think I, when I first looked at your book and, and I thought, okay, is this social media? What, what is yeah. it? So maybe maybe just to clarify that and, and maybe then take us to why it is vital for organizations to, to change this approach. Yeah. There is some confusion about the words um, social media and social mm-hmm. technologies. And I, in general, I say that social media, you know, like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn, they are media like used what we call in the outside world. Mm-hmm. And then social technologies, you could say that these are technologies that allow people to connect and to exchange ideas and to exchange knowledge inside mm-hmm. the organization. And I have to say that these two definitions are not really like the Scientific. best definition. Yeah, no, not, not at all and not the best. Because, for example, Yammer, a Microsoft mm. uh, tool, um, this Yammer community, I have people from within my organization and from outside my organization. So it's not that clear. But social media, think about Facebook, social technologies. Well, think about um, social costs as it is used at Siemens or Jive as it is used as the, in the European Commission. You have um, Yammer and uh, Microsoft Teams, as it is used uh, at Angie, and you also have IBM Connections, mm-hmm. as it is used at Robert Bosch. So these are like dominant mm-hmm. social technologies. So this would be groups where they can exchange. It could also be internal blogs or blogging, internal video? What? It depends on, um, on on each tool, but for example, indeed in Jive, you can blog and uh, mm-hmm. you can interact and you can chat and uh, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But in fact, it's about, you know, connecting people mm-hmm. and people communicating um, with each other inside the organization. Yeah. yeah. And it's also, a, well, you mentioned that it's also cross hierarchies, right? So it's quite a Technology is a great leveler among, um, you know, it could be someone from sales, uh, someone from um, marketing, someone from production who would never ever meet physically. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And I think that goes, um, in fact, to another question. Why would social technologies be so vital for Mm -hmm. organizations? 
um, I think organizations are suffering. They suffer because they have difficulties um, to follow the pace of change in the outside world. Um, customers need change. We need more speed, more agility, more productivity. Uh, we have to reskill people who are badly prepared for the digital work. Um, and research shows that a lot of employees are, are disengaged and then organizations are alienated um, from the customer. So organizations are suffering. And so I'm not saying that social technology is like the magic trick mm -hmm. that uh, will change it all, but I'm convinced it does a lot. Why? Because social technologies take down barriers and they take down barriers that cost us a lot of money. I will give you some examples. They remove barriers between teams. So it means that lessons learned and expertise are shared and that the wheel is not reinvented over mm. and over again. They also take down barriers between hierarchical layers, what you were referring mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to, because now people can connect more easily with other people wherever they are in the organizational chart. Uh, people can contact each other directly instead of going via their manager. And I think another barrier is the job description. Oh yeah, my favorite <laughs> barrier. Favorite. My <laughs> favorite barrier. <laughs> Frederik Ansel, you know, in yes, one of the yeah. other podcasts, he was talking about yeah. uh, that. And I think that the job description um, can be like a kind of a prison wall. Oh, absolutely. And now social technologies allow individuals to raise their voice, to speak up. Mm. And so this has a positive impact on their motivation and, and engagement. So I think um, the digital workplace nurtures individuality. And that is also one mm. of the messages yes. that Frederik Ansel has given in his, uh, in his podcast. Another barrier, Agnes, is the one between the inside and the outside yeah. of an organization. Uh, for example, my Yammer community allows me to interact with my customers in a very easy and a very cheap way. It means that I do not have to organize meetings and to travel to know what people think about a new product or a service. I can just ask my questions in this mm. Yammer community. So in fact, in conclusion, we could say that social technologies destroy barriers and by doing so, they bring in like, um, new dynamics and new kind of energy uh, within the organization. And that's why I like to say that social technologies are a vital catalyst. I mm -hmm, also like mm -hmm. the word catalyst because it's about energy. So social technologies are a vital catalyst for organizational transformation. Mm, absolutely. Wow, so much in there that you just said that we could even organize podcasts on each of them and <laughs> yeah. and as i said my favorite uh, is is the job description because, and why because i always say that when somebody leaves or somebody's um graduating from graduating <laughs> yeah that's yeah. when they say fire in a in startup community okay. <laughs> so if somebody leaves an organization i think it's a, such an enormous opportunity to rethink what we're doing here yeah. and to to look at work design and job crafting yeah. but instead if joe leaves uh, organizations just want to get in another joe but an even better joe you know they look at what joe's uh, description was they make sometimes even joe write it him or herself who is leaving yeah. and then hr adds five qualifications on top and then the line manager and it just becomes this 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 beautiful paper which is almost a letter to father christmas you know of, of this ideal joe and i think it's a flemish expression or dutch expression when recruiters are looking for the lamb with five yes, legs with five, yes indeed exactly yeah. so so that's what i feel instead of saying 
who are we as an organization? What are our strengths? What value are we bringing? What impact? And now we have this mini budget that was liberated from Joe leaving. So how can we use that at best? So I totally agree with with you and Frederic about about this very constraining aspect of of job description. Yeah, sometimes I... um you know, the, the great-grandfather of my husband, he was a professor at the University of Leuven, and um, he collected a lot of things, like my husband is collecting a lot of things. And um, so, so just for the listeners, telling you that we're sitting in front of a wall of three really amazing displays of pipes. Yes, indeed. And I think they are like hundreds. Um, I have hundreds more of them in the, in the, in the basement. Ah, okay. We have a lot of things in the, in the basement, like for example, um, fossils. So uh, this great, great grandfather of my husband, he was collecting fossils. And I saw, you know, the, um, <clears throat> the image of these fossils and, and all the fossils, he put them in matchboxes. Mm-hmm. And you know, people, Sometimes I compare people to fossils. In a matchbox. In a matchbox. And you know that this professor, he had written down the name of the fossil, you know, the Latin name. And I thought like this Latin name is like the function description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The matchbox is like the function description. And when you, it's like you you structure too much. It's that over-structuring. And when you put too much structure in a living thing, then the life in it dies. Yeah. And then it starts to rot and to smell. (laughs) Then you become fossil and very unhappy in your matchbox yeah absolutely yeah, yeah so, and it's, yeah. it's it's taking away all risks right is what you said when people had to repeat the same thing over and over maybe mm. at that time it worked but even in the most routine jobs nowadays you need to give people the opportunity to speak up to to think to contribute to think and and to to be creative about how to solve problems because they know best and and, and this narrow description, this matchbox is taking away their own capacity yeah. to do that. Yeah. I remember that in, I think it was in 2012, I was following Harold Yarke. It's a Canadian and he's uh, writing about uh, knowledge sharing and the learning organization. Mm. And he said one of the characteristics of a learning organization is that people have time for reflection. And I thought, what is he talking about? <laughs> but um, and then I saw back the, the article uh, just like two weeks ago. And now I understand because, you know, before you had this dichotomy in organizations between those who think and those who execute. Those who execute are not supposed to think. And now in a learning organization, everybody has the right uh, to think. Yeah. And for example, I was uh, talking to a guy from um, Deutsche Telekom and they are also implementing social technologies. And they uh, were listening to people who were against social technologies and they had made some visuals about it. And one of the visuals, on the, there was a text on it and it was a middle, managers, a middle manager who says, those who are blogging do not have enough things to do. Mm-hmm. They are just losing, <gasps> they are losing their time. Oh, it hurts. <laughs> it, it hurts, hurts yes, to listen to this. Yes. So jumping off from this point about Deutsche Telekom, you already mentioned a couple of examples. Would you maybe give listeners an insight into one or other organization that has had a, a kind of a success story with, with applying yeah. this, this framework and approach? Yes. Um, I would like to mention certainly, uh, well, there are a lot of them, but four yeah. organizations. Uh, the first one is Angie, the second one is Philips, another one is Siemens, and then another one is Robert Bosch. Angie started in uh, 2016 and they have now 62,000 people on the network 
And I think there the key success factors were support from the executive uh, level and the drive came from the business and not from the supporting functions. Mm -hmm. um, it's an organization that needs very specialized expertise and the problem was that the expertise was geographically dispersed. Mm. So people working in Bahrain, they needed the expertise from people working in Mexico. And um, of course, when Yammer came, it was very easy to exchange this very uh, specific expertise. So in Angie, it is uh, a success. I was talking in, just in December with uh, Dennis Aguzzi, who is promoting social collaboration within, um, uh, within Philips. And he told me, in fact, Isabel, what you are talking about, it is common sense in our, org in our <laughs> organizations, because we started already a long time ago. And then you have uh, Siemens, they started in 2012. And they have 180,000 uh, people working in, uh, in networks. And then you also have um, Robert Bosch. What is really um, nice about the story of Robert Bosch is that executives are on social media mm. saying that um, sharing knowledge is extremely important for the survival of the organization. And for example, there was like two weeks ago an interview with their CEO, Volkmar Denner. And he really used the word that I really like, and it's the word learn agility. Mm. And so he said, I'm going to quote him. Um, the decisive factor is learn agility. It's the ability to generate knowledge quickly and efficiently across departmental and national boundaries and then to share it. So he's also talking, you know, about these barriers. And what I also like at Robert Bosch, and they also do it at Daimler, another German mm -hmm. organization, is that they link digital transformation with um, social collaboration. And, you know, the, the, the strange thing is that a lot of organizations who take social technologies very seriously now are in Germany. And you have to know that uh, people from uh, Audi, Bosch, BMW, Deutsche Bank, Deutsche Telekom, Daimler, Continental and Siemens, they share their knowledge about how to promote social collaboration all together. Mm -hmm. And so you even have like competitors between these people yeah. and they have won um, uh, an award uh, because of this. And it was in November 2017. And then last week I was talking to somebody and I said, why is it that in Germany you have these lot of organizations who take social seriously? And she said, because, you know, the school system in Germany is different from ours. There is more power given to the individual already. Mm -hmm. I do not know whether it explains it all, but you can see a lot of, you know, German mm. organizations yeah. uh, talking about working out loud, knowledge sharing, and even executive people. For example, in November, I went to uh, Ludwigsburg um, for an event organized by Daimler, and uh, it was a two days event. And, you know, you had diff uh, several executive people staying on, on the stage, mm -hmm. saying that it was very important to share knowledge, mm. even the executives. I when you were mentioning and I was like, hmm, they're all German companies. A I lot was, of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah but thinking, not Angie. Angie is not yeah, worldwide yeah. and Philips too. I yeah. was thinking that, you know, Germany, one of the biggest issues they also face is the talent shortage. Mm -hmm. And we know that people choose an organization to work for or stick around in an organization where they have they feel they have have the opportunity to learn and develop yeah so i think that you know even in terms of engagement so you have the pure kind of knowledge sharing innovation creativity aspect mm -hmm. but definitely i would think that it's also an, an, an aspect that you feel you're valued you feel you're able to grow because you yeah. can tap into 
this yeah. great potential of your organizational organizations uh, learning uh, community and, and the other brains of the people there so not just the fact that you can go on a course and yeah. develop certain skills but but this organic uh, learning which is kind of this vortex of learning as it's unfolding yeah. is, is quite impressive yeah indeed so now to maybe to the book yeah it was quite an impressive uh, collection of, of uh, inputs and, and authors and some of whom I knew, some of whom I didn't. Mm -hmm. So how difficult was it to get all their brains uh... <laughs> <laughs> together? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing that I did was setting up a team of co-authors. And in fact, I already knew them all, well, not personally, but I was following them mm -hmm. like years on Facebook, Twitter and, and LinkedIn. And then by using social media, I just asked them whether they wanted um, to, uh, you know, to write a chapter for the book. And they all said yes. And I think that well, last week I was talking to somebody and I was talking about my daughter who is really like has this really strong character and she's kind of a, a leader. And, um, and then this guy told me, well, she's like her mother. And I said, <laughs> no, no, because I'm not that strong as my daughter. And he said, oh, yes, because he was one of the co-authors of the book. And he said, you, you, you really knew very strongly what you wanted. Mm -hmm. And there is, yes, indeed, some, something that I wanted is I wanted different chapters from different people. And the chapter had to be like 1,500 words. I really knew very well how the language uh, had to be um, with an introduction and then uh, the key ideas to take away. That was very clear for me. What was not clear for me was the overall structure of the book. And then one day I was Skyping with uh, a man in India and his name is Rama, uh, Venkataram Ramachandran. <laughs> very, very exotic. Um, a millennial, just 30 years old, but much more intelligent than I am. He's an engineer and he said... Um, Isabel, there is something missing. There is like the structure in your book is not uh, is not clear. And then we were talking, and then the structure emerged during our Skype call. And so what I said is, uh, in the center, of course, you have the why. You have some ideas. Why should I care about social technologies? And then he said, the second element is so now. What kind of technology is available? So you should have a part about um, technology. And then he said, you need a kind of a methods. Mm -hmm. um, policy or, yeah 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 so now that that I now that I care and now that I see what is available how should I implement it and what work what works and what doesn't work mm -hmm. uh, so there I, I had like the basic structure of my book so it's about ideas why should I care it's about infrastructure now that I care what is available and it's about methods how to implement it Mm, fantastic. Now, before we go to the last question, maybe you would uh, like to tell listeners where they can find you, how they can contact you, where they can find the book. They can find the book on Amazon, mm -hmm. so that is rather easy. And they can find me on LinkedIn, on Facebook and on Twitter. And, you know, just um, it's just my name, Isabel de Klerk. I know it's difficult to spell, but I'm sure that you will put my name somewhere in the podcast. So coming um, to the last question, which is always the same here on the Work Life Podcast. Mm -hmm. If I could ask you, Isabel, if you could only give one advice to a CEO mm -hmm. about starting with social technologies or why they should care, what would be your advice? Yeah, I think that a CEO wants to have impact. And there is no easier way to have impact on a lot of people than by being present on social media. 
just, you know, you are posting just behind your desk or wherever you are, you can reach and influence like thousands of people all around the world. So if you like to have impacts, then please use social technologies. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Isabel, for this opportunity to, to come and meet you here and record this podcast for your book. So again, the book is called Social Technologies in Business, Connect, Share, Lead. Go yeah. and find it on Amazon. Yeah. And I wish you really the best of success with the book and your future work. Yes, thank you very much, Agnes.